If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Ah, yes, the magnificent trolley Sour Bright Crawler, also known as Trollicus Brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. The ancient Greeks were a curious lot. As a new exhibition at the Science Museum in London reveals, they were constantly seeking to learn more about the world around them. Questioning, contemplating, and debating the natural world and how it worked, from the oceans and animals to the cosmos and the human body. I spoke to the exhibition's lead curator, Jane Desborough, to find out more. You're the lead curator of a new science museum exhibition, Ancient Greeks, Science and Wisdom. Can you give us a sense of the type of objects that you have in the exhibition and the message that you're hoping they'll get across to visitors? Yes, absolutely. So this exhibition is all about how the ancient Greeks questioned, contemplated and debated the world around them and sought logical, often mathematical explanations for its workings. Um, In the exhibition, we're displaying original ancient objects only, no replicas. Um, we are using what we might traditionally describe as art objects in many cases to tell science stories. Uh, the ancient Greek intellectual outlook was very much characterised by a union of the art, science and religion and that's why these art objects are able to tell us these science stories. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that connection that you highlighted there between science and art because 
I mean, the fact that we have a science museum today that's quite separate, for example, to the V&A next door that does art, tells us a lot about how we delineate these two things. But in the ancient Greek mindset, they were much more interlinked. Is that right? They absolutely were, yes. So when you enter the exhibition space, the first object you see is a beautiful sarcophagus panel. Um, it's Roman, but its carvings of the nine muses, Apollo and Athena, um, are based on lost Greek originals. And representations such as these existed at places of learning throughout the ancient Greek world and were appealed to by philosophers for inspiration. So it's very much capturing that spirit of um, that union of the art, science and religion through that object. Could you tell us a bit more about the ways in which the Greeks sought to understand the world around them and the universe around them? What kind of methods did they use to investigate that? Um, it is hard to tell definitively, but um, we do know that they very much questioned everything around them. Um, so in our exhibition, we focused on five areas of the natural world to which the ancient Greek thinkers turned their attention. Um, so that's the seas, animals, human body, music and the cosmos. I'd say they used a variety of methods to explore the world around them. So observation, measuring, um, discussing... Uh, was very much how they approached um, these different areas. So hopefully we'll discuss some of those areas in this conversation. Before we do, I just want to ask you about one of the most remarkable objects that you have in the exhibition. It's really eye-catching. It's a gold headdress. It's incredibly delicate, isn't it? And it depicts Athena, the goddess of wisdom. So I think that's quite a nice place to start if we're talking about science and wisdom. Who was Athena and what might wearing a headdress like this signify in ancient Greece? Yes, yeah, so Athena was goddess of wisdom. As you say, this headdress is very intricate, it's very beautiful. It would have been worn by a wealthy lady very keen to demonstrate how cultured she was and her intellectual status. For us, it's an important object, not just because it's very beautiful, but also because it allows us to talk about women in the ancient Greek world. And we know that, unfortunately, they were generally excluded from formal events in ancient Greece, but many were interested in exploring science. And we know that some managed to attend Plato's Academy and select symposia when they were able to do so. And I think the existence of an object like this does just demonstrate that there was that interest there. And I guess it also demonstrates how important knowledge and wisdom was to the Greeks, right? Because it was a, a display of social status to have an object like this. Absolutely. It was that outward expression of um, the importance of science and art and culture to a developed mind, if you like, in their view. You said earlier that one of the focuses of the exhibition was the seas. Why was this such an important aspect of Greek culture? Did it lead them to interaction with more cultures? I'd say so, yes. Um, so the sea was um, a really important part of ancient Greek identity. They were a maritime nation, if you like. They were not isolated and inward-looking very much the opposite. They travelled right the way around the ancient Greek world and beyond, um, exchanging both products and ideas with the people they met. And that's something that we tried to explain in the um, Perilous Sea section. We know that they traded a great deal with their neighbours in the Black Sea region. That was just one example. Something they traded very much was wine. Wealthy rulers in that region were keen to um, buy Greek products and wine was something that enabled them to demonstrate their status. And one of the scientific research projects that we're representing in that section is 
the research undertaken by a team at the University of Southampton. Um, and a few years ago, they discovered um, the oldest uh, known Greek wreck on the bed of the Black Sea. And they've been doing some research to try and work out what it was about the design of that ship that made it so efficient. So in the perilous seas section, um, we're very much focusing on how the Greeks um, sought to design ships that could travel further and faster, taking both um, goods and ideas with them for exchange with their neighbours. So we spoke about seafaring and... I was just wondering if there were any innovations in seafaring or boat building that the the Greeks uh, were responsible for. Yes, yeah, so the University of Southampton team that um, discovered um, the wreck um, on the bed of the Black Sea a few years ago have done another phase of research where they built a 3D model of the wreck and then tested it in a water tank and analysed its performance to try and form some conclusions about the performance of the original ship. And one of the conclusions they come to is that the original ship would have been able to travel at half the speed of modern cargo ships, which I think is just fascinating. And it shows how advanced their shipbuilding was. Staying on the um, ocean theme, another object that you have is a really beautifully decorated fish plate, which depicts a cuttlefish, um, among other fish, which I've learned just now was apparently Aristotle's favourite animal. So... Can you tell us a bit about Aristotle and his understanding of the natural world? Absolutely. So in the animal world section, we're displaying 12 of those beautiful fish plates that have all different uh, marine animals on them. And that's enabling us to talk about, as you say, Aristotle. He was the first person... that we know of to offer a systematic study of the animal world. He was interested in how animals lived, reproduced and died and sought to group them by um, looking at their body parts and their habitat and things like that. He had a particular interest in marine animals um, and that's why we're displaying these beautiful fish plates. Um, sadly, his original drawings have not survived, but the um, fish plates were created during his lifetime, which is quite an interesting connection. And they do seem to capture some of the anatomical details that he described. And yes, as you say, the um, cuttlefish was apparently his favourite animal. Um, And we suspect this because um, he spent a lot of time describing it. And we know that he also dissected examples himself. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. I'd like visitors to take away um, a fascination with just how many different areas the ancient Greeks turned their attention to and the questions they asked about the natural world. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. 
That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Do we have any sense of whether Aristotle's um, beliefs or investigations into um, animals and the natural world were were typical of, of the Greek outlook? Or was he kind of pioneering in investigating the ways that animals worked? I mean, it's really difficult to know the answer to that just because of the surviving or lack of surviving evidence. Um, But he does seem to be the first person to offer that systematic study and and into that many different types of animal as well. And then interest seems to have just spiralled from there. So moving on from animals to the human body, um, you also have some pretty unappealing looking medical instruments, surgical needles. What do we know about medicine in ancient Greece and understandings of the human body? So in the mathematical body section, we're looking at um, perceptions of balance, both outside the body and inside the body. And doctors such as Hippocrates believed that illness was the result of imbalances in the four humours, and they sought to cure people by restoring um, balance. Um, Surgery was always a last resort for them. They sought sought to um, cure people by changes in diet and lifestyle and things like that. But when surgery was undertaken, they'd use a range of different instruments. And we've got a selection of 33 on display. Um, They were made uh, much later, but the design didn't change much over the centuries. And some look... um, quite modern as well. In terms of understanding the workings of the body, um, doctors such as Hippocrates used observation a great deal. And we know that he um, would observe his patients um, for a long time and make lots of notes on um, not only um, what they were undergoing at the time, but also their diets and living conditions to try and build up this body of knowledge. What we've spoken about so far I think would quite classically fall into our understanding of science, um, anatomy, nature, biology. But you also look at some of the things that might not fall under our contemporary understandings of scientific subjects. Uh, You look at music. I wonder if you can explain the connections that you draw between music and scientific understanding in the ancient Greek world. Yes, so for us in the harmonious music section, we're looking at how people such as Pythagoras sought to understand music in mathematical terms. Um, Pythagoras is obviously a name that many of us um, are familiar with, um, but we might think of his work on triangles and things like that. Uh, So we wanted to show another side of his work and also um, provide an area of um, additional interest, if you like, and something, as you say, might not be considered strictly science. 
So how did Pythagoras go about exploring music? Um, he sought to understand um, music by describing musical intervals. So that's a difference in pitch between two notes. Um, and he, he did this um, with a device called a monochord. And in the exhibition, we've developed an interactive where visitors can explore the mathematics behind that, starting with the monochord and then looking at uh, the aulos. And the aulos is um, a twin pipe instrument. And we're very fortunate to have an original example on display in the exhibition. This might be an impossible question to answer, but do we have any sense of what ancient Greek music sounded like then? It sounds you've got a way of reconstructing it here. Uh, we do, yes. Um, we have a film um, in the exhibition where um, Dr. Stefan Hagel um, is explaining his research, um, which has enabled him to uh, provide a very authentic um, Aulos sound. So he's researched the Aulos that we have on display. Um, and he's used his own computer software and other devices to be able to recreate that sound. Visitors can hear him playing it as well. How would you describe it? It's a very interesting sound. Um, very difficult to explain. I think you need to hear it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Along with their headdress that we spoke about earlier, you also have another really decorative um, gold object, a pair of earrings, gold earrings, which I'd personally quite like to wear myself, which are decorated with muses playing lyres, of course, tying us into the musical theme. Can you just explain what the muses were and the role that they played in, in thinking in ancient Greece? Yes, so the muses were goddesses of intellectual activity. The um, ancient Greek philosophers at places of learning appealed to representations of the muses and then went out into the world to do their work. So religion was very much a part of their daily life and not something that could be separated from it. Something else you have in the exhibition is a, a silver celestial globe, um, very intricately carved from about 300 to 100 BCE. So what was the Greek understanding of the universe beyond Earth? I think that's one of my favourite objects. I'm glad that you've asked about that one. Um, yeah, so in um, that section, the starry cosmos section, uh, where we have the globe, we're looking at how the ancient Greeks sought to map and model the night sky. Um, and the globe, which maps the 48 known constellations on an eight-circled celestial grid, very much represents that kind of... Um, mapping of the night sky and with that globe in particular it's the um, positions of the constellations that are important. We know that they sought to understand it in mathematical terms because they believed that everything in the universe was connected by mathematics and was um, part of this sort of perfect whole and knowable um, through that. Throughout the conversation We've spoken about some really big names in the history of intellectual curiosity. You know, Pythagoras, Aristotle, Hippocrates, names that are still spoken about today. So do you think that this was a particular golden age for intellectual endeavours? And why might that have been? I think it was very much so um, in the ancient Greek world. That's not to say that things didn't continue after that, but I think there was something very special happening from the 6th century BCE, um, and that is that questioning, contemplating and debating the world, sharing ideas with others, but also seeking those logical and mathematical explanations for its workings. What's your own personal favourite object from the exhibition and why? 
Oh, that's very difficult. We talked about the celestial globe. Um, I think another object that is just amazing is the statue of Hermes from the Antikythera wreck. He was found on that wreck in around 1901, along with lots of other statues and um, trade goods, such as vases and things like that. Um, We know that that ship was travelling somewhere um, with the intention of selling those goods. Hermes is god of merchants and travellers. That was very much about the Greeks, you know, taking their culture with them to sell to others. And that statue in particular is so interesting because um, the body has undergone a lot of underwater erosion, but portions of the face appear perfect as they would have done 2,000 years ago. And that's because they were protected by silt on the seabed. Um, And he just provides such an amazing vision in the exhibition. So if visitors come and they see the exhibition, what would you want them to take away from it? I'd like visitors to take away um, a fascination with just how many different areas the ancient Greeks turned their attention to and the questions they asked about the natural world. That was Jane Desborough. Ancient Greeks, Science and Wisdom runs at the Science Museum until the 5th of June 2022. You can find out more at sciencemuseum.org.uk. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.